Well, please take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Now, earlier in the fifth chapter, we went through the Beatitudes. We saw how we as people of the kingdom should live. We saw the values that the Lord Jesus Christ wants us to embrace, but not just embrace as far as a thought process, embrace as far as activity. We saw that we're to be merciful, meek, righteous. We're to be pure in heart. We're to be peacemakers. We're to be poor in spirit. We're to mourn when it comes to sin. All of these components that are shared with us in Matthew chapter 5 are to be part of our life. Now, we also saw a warning that when we embrace these attributes, we can expect the world to persecute us. They're going to reject us for living differently, for embracing values that are radically different from the values of this world and its worldview. So when we come to chapter 5, verse 13, we see that even in spite of the persecution, we still have a job to do. We are to be, and I just jumped two slides. How do you like that? I, I got the old Jimmy thumb, you know? It hit it two or three times. At any rate, we are to be salty salt and bright lights. Now, that's kind of a weird title. What's it communicating? Well, I think it's abundantly clear as we get into this text and we look at what God calls us to be, how we are to behave, what this title means. And it begins with the idea of salt. When we come to this 13th verse, it informs us that we are the salt of the world. Now what this means is this, God has a job for us to do as followers of Jesus Christ and that is we are to impact the world. We need to make a difference, if you will. And we make a difference in the world by first of all influencing the world, by being what God calls us to be. Notice when Jesus says, you are the salt of the world, he is giving us an illustration about how we are to interact with the world. So what does he mean? When he says that we are the salt of the world, what does it mean to be salt in this world? And as we think about the purpose of salt, we think about a couple of properties that come into play. First of all, salt is a flavor enhancer. When you get food that is bland, where someone has not seasoned the food at all, um, it's hard to find it appetizing or tasty. We as followers of Jesus Christ are in this world to flavor the gospel, if you will, to entice people to embrace the truth of God and the teachings of God. We are flavor enhancers in that we point people to the truth as we live the truth. Something we need to recognize is this. The only interaction that some people have with God's truth is believers. They will look at us. They will examine our lives. And if we claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, we are fulfilling a role of bringing people to Christ, letting people experience who He is and understand how they can have a connection with Him. We are, in a very real way, the flavor enhancers. But here's the thing about salt. 
Early on in my cooking experience, I decided to make oatmeal cookies. I was a kid. Mom gave me free reign of the kitchen. And I didn't understand the difference between that TSB and TBS. <laughs> For those of you who are non-cookers, that is teaspoon as opposed to tablespoon. So I made an assumption, and I grabbed the biggest spoon I could find, and I put the salt in it for the oatmeal cookies and dumped it in and stirred all of the other ingredients together, and they looked right. They looked a lot like mom's oatmeal cookies until I popped one in my mouth. Inedible. All you tasted was salt. And here's the thing about salt when it comes to us. Salt is not about us, it's about God. Salt doesn't point people to me, it points people to God. When it's all about the salt and not about that flavor-enhancing aspect of salt where we are just pointing people, flavoring the gospel, if you will, to make it something that they will want to try, we miss the mark. God wants us to be people who point other people to the kingdom. When it says in this text, you are the salt of the earth, what it's saying is this, God has a purpose and a plan marked out for this earth, and that is his kingdom, his rule. God has a plan that is unfolding for this earth, and we have a job to do in pointing people to God's plan and his purpose for his earth, this earth, his kingdom. And so if we are salty salt, that's what we're going to do. We're going to point people to Jesus. We're going to point people to his kingdom. But you know, there's another aspect of salt. Salt is not only a flavor enhancer. Salt is also a preservative. In other words, it's something that keeps stuff from rotting and spoiling. In the ancient Near East, there wasn't refrigeration. So when they wanted to preserve a meat, they would pack it in salt. Often it would be fish, and the salt would draw out the liquid in the meat and then make it last much longer. It prevented spoil and decay. And when you look at it, there is a societal rot that takes place when the people of God don't engage in preserving the truth of God. If we go off to the sidelines and we remain silent as people push toward abandoning the truth of God and the principles of God, societal rot kicks in. Now that doesn't mean that we enter into culture wars and we hate the people who are different from us, but what it does mean is this, we gently and kindly point people to the principles of God and we remind them of God's truth. That's a responsibility that we, as the salt of the earth, have. The Apostle Paul said this to the Colossian church, conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. All of us have a limited window to share God's truth with those around us. And that's why he goes on in the sixth verse to say this, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. 
In other words, I am to point people to God's truth, to the gospel, to how they form a connection with God. And I'm to do it wisely, seasoning my speech with the salt of truth so that I can lead others into that relationship with God. That's our job description as followers of God, clearly brought out by the Lord Jesus Christ. But continue in that 13th verse, and as we go on, we find that impurities make us not be what we should be. Look carefully at what is said after you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Now, for some who would read this, they say, well, wait a minute, when is salt not salty? I mean, come on, salt is in ACL. Salt is salt. But here's what we need to understand about the first culture, first century culture. As they found salt, it wasn't necessarily from salt mines or from evaporated seawater. They would go to the salt marshes around the Dead Sea. And they would gather salt as best they could along those salt marshes. But here's the issue. The salt was mixed with a lot of other minerals and a lot of other deposits. So you would get what looked like salt and say, ah, you know, here, here's my salt. And you would take it and you would use it in seasoning and preservation and all the other things. But here's the issue. If that salt would be stored in an improper container, the sodium chloride salt would leach out, and the minerals that had been mixed in with the salt would remain. And therefore, the salt had lost its saltiness because of being diluted by water and leaving what had originally been thought to be only salt just leaving some crystals behind that aren't salty at all. So imagine this, you salt freaks that are out there, and I know there are some of you. You go to salt your food, and there are pebbles on your food instead of salt. No taste, a little crunchy, not what you anticipated. God wants believers to be salt in this world. In other words, to carry his truth and not to allow the impurities of this world to be so mixed in that we are no longer salt. We are so much like the world that no one can tell any difference between us and the world. That's what Jesus means by if that salt has lost its taste. Losing our taste means that we have come to the place to where we no longer evidence the properties of salt. We are so much like the world because of the impurities in our lives that no one can tell the difference. God wants us to be, as the title indicated, salty salt, because we're to live differently. Jesus talks about the importance of being different from the world. In John chapter 15, verse 19, it says this, if you were of the world, the world would love you as, it own, as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Here's something that we can use as a barometer as to whether or not I am really evidencing that salt 
responsibility that I have as a follower of God. Does the world love you? Does the world, and by world I mean a world system that is committed to sin and committed to ignoring God, committed to self, does that system look at you and say, hey, you're one of us? Or does the world system look at you and say, hey, there's something different about you? You stand out different from us. One of my greatest fears would be if someone came and started talking about uh, me or to me, and I share with them that I'm a Christian, and they say, oh, I didn't know you were a Christian. That's what Jesus is talking about in this passage. We should stand out as different because we have a different value, a different lifestyle. We live differently than the world. Jesus said this in John chapter 17. Speaking of his disciples, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify, which means make them more holy. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Listen, the word of God makes us different. And we should evidence that difference if we are going to be the salt of the earth that God wants us to be. Look at what this 13th verse goes on to say. So, how shall its saltiness, and look at the next words that follow, be restored? You know, as I looked at this passage of Scripture, I see a warning. And that warning is this. If I so dilute who I'm to be as a Christian with the things of this world and the behaviors of this world, and I lose my saltiness in that I don't stand out, it can so hamper my testimony that I will never be able to return to the place that I could have had I not been deluded by sin and the impurities of this world. Think about this, I name the name of Christ, but I behave just like everybody else around me, and then I go to share the gospel with one of those people that I have just sinned, just like them, in front of them, no difference, and I share the gospel, and they say, well, what's the difference between you and me? Why should I listen to the gospel? I've lost the opportunity to share my faith in a way that will attract people and point them to God. I've even seen some Christians who make that change and make that difference for a time, but then they go back into that kind of behavior that doesn't follow Christ, that doesn't honor Him by the way that we live. And people see that and they say, ah, that's just another phase. We saw Him go down that road once before and He bailed out. Don't listen to anything He has to say. It's hard to restore the saltiness when it's lost when it's gone. So as believers, we need to follow God. We need to embrace our differences. We need to live for God and not for the world that we are no longer part of. It means taking a stand as a follower of Jesus Christ and refusing to behave like those around us. Look at the last part of that 13th verse. And it shares with us this, incongruities make us useless for advancing the kingdom. 
It says of the salt that has lost its saltiness, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now what would happen with the salt of the first century once the sodium chloride, the salt, would leach out of that impure mixture that people considered salt? Somebody would taste it and say, ah, it's got no taste. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw it on the path. Or if they're in the city, they might even say, I'm going to throw it in the street. And it will be trampled under people's feet. Now, when we hear this, we think in terms of, yeah, trampled under people's feet. We get it. It's on a road. It's on a path. No big deal. At least it has some use. People are going to walk over it. But here's what we need to remember about the Middle East. Being trampled underfoot speaks of being cursed or being shamed. The idea that Jesus is communicating to his culture and then ultimately to us is this. We bring great shame in not fulfilling the purpose that God calls us to. We don't want to be useless salt that becomes a shame to God and a shame to other believers. We want to remain consistent, living the way God calls us to live as the salt of the earth. Now, what Jesus is sharing here are some hard things. And he's sharing it with people he loves. And listen, just because you love somebody doesn't mean that you bail out and you don't challenge them to think about the way they live. As I read this, I looked at it and said, am, am I being salt in this earth? Am I being someone who engages with the world around me to point them to the truth of God? This is God's purpose for you and for me. This is why we're here on this earth. And if we do engage with other people, we certainly don't want to be a person who causes the gospel to come to great shame. That's the warning of this text. But then our Lord goes on to another illustration. You see, not only are we to impact people of this world with the gospel of God's truth, but we are also to illuminate the truth as God's light to the lost. I love this part of the passage as it talks about being the light of the world because it's a call to all of us to identify with others who are light in the midst of the darkness. Look at the 14th verse. In the 14th verse it says, you are the light of the world. What a high privilege it is for us as believers to fulfill the same purpose that our Lord fulfilled. Jesus came into this world, we're told in the first chapter of John, to be the light in the darkness. Even though the darkness did not understand that light, that was his role, that was his purpose. But Jesus is now ascended and at the right hand of God. So guess who the light is now? Us, his followers. We are fulfilling that responsibility on behalf of Jesus Christ. That is a high responsibility, but an awesome privilege to be able to represent the light of the world as being light ourselves in this dark world. Look at how 
the Word of God goes on to talk about this light. There are two aspects that Jesus talks about. First of all, a city that is on a hill, and then later, a lamp that is within a household. Let's talk about the city that's on the hill first, because what I think Jesus is communicating here is something very significant. The city would have been comprised of many lights. It would have been a place where the lights had gathered, and it would be a beacon to people on a dark trail looking for a place of refuge. In the first century, there weren't street lights, there weren't car lights, there weren't flashlights, nothing. So you're traveling and you're looking for a place of refuge, and on that dark road as you're walking down it, you look on the hill off in the distance, and you see lights, and you say, that's where I can go to get my bearings. That's where I can go to find refuge and rest. I need to go there. And so you would make your way for, through, through the, the darkness to that city set on the hill. Each one of those lights coming together to produce a greater light. And you know, as I thought about that, what a beautiful picture of a community of believers. As a community of believers, we are a city set on a hill with individual lights coming together to form the city of God. The church should be a beacon to the lost, a place where they can find guidance and direction and, yes, even refuge. We, as the city, filled with these individual lights, all of us, need to point people to Jesus. We need to draw them to us. We need to encourage them. This is such a beautiful picture that's given to us of the church, and we have to really think about our job. What are we doing to put ourselves in a place where people can see us? In our day, it means that as we leave this building, we go into the workplace, we go into our homes, we go into our neighborhoods, and we share the gospel, but we try to bring people into our fellowship, into this city that's comprised of those little lights that come together. As people come through our doors, we need to be welcoming and our goal should be that as they walk through our doors, they feel that we're a refuge where they can come and be loved and accepted and encouraged. That's our responsibility as that city comprised of these little lights. May God grant us the ability to do that as his church. That difference that we live out throughout the week should also be a difference that we live out in church as people see the way we treat one another and in the way that we treat them. The Apostle Paul said this to the Philippians, Do all things without grumbling and questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. So how do we demonstrate a difference? Well, for the Philippian church, who had some interpersonal issues, they were saying, stop fighting with each other. Stop complaining and grumbling and being a place of negativity. 
Listen, if all people do is see the church as a place where negativity is constantly expressed, either in the way we interact with those outside our walls or the way we treat those inside the walls, the church won't look at that or the people outside the church won't look at that as something that they want to become part of. God wants us to be different. And look look at what happens when, when we avoid the pitfalls that are outlined for us. We become blameless and innocent children without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And look at that last phrase. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. The church should be a place of light, drawing people to the truth of God. That's what it means when it says we are a city set on a hill. But then Jesus goes on to another description of what we are as followers of God. Look at verse 15 where it says this. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all the house. Now here once again, God is talking about what we're called to be and how we can sometimes fail to fulfill what God calls us to be. We are called to be lights. In the ancient Near East, they would take what looks to us like a bowl with a little part of it that a wick would lay in, and they would fill the bowl often with olive oil, and the wick would soak up some of the oil, and then someone would come along and light the wick, And that little lamp would give light in the house. Now, if any of you have ever burned a little wick in a a, a lamp of sorts, you know it doesn't give that much light, right? If you take that lamp and you put it in the corner, it's not going to do much good. But if you take it out and you put it on a stand in the middle of the room, what happens? People begin to see. What happens if you take the light and you place a basket over it or a clay jar over it? It has no light whatsoever. So Jesus' warning to the church in this passage is this. We are to copy or emulate the purpose of Jesus Christ in bringing light to men. Jesus fulfilled that role. John writes in his gospel, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's our role as the people of God. We are called to come and be that light, and to not take the light of God's truth and hide it under a bushel. Now, I think we can all imagine what Jesus is talking about when he talks about hiding our light. What it means is this, rather than taking the truth of God and being open about it and sharing it with others, and even if it means persecution, I'm going to share God's truth and God's light. Even if it means that, I do it. I don't hide the light of God's truth. Now, what are ways that we hide our light under a basket. Number one, when there's an opportunity to witness, and I feel in my heart the tug of the Holy Spirit saying, you need to talk to this person, and I talk myself out of it. 
We've all done it. I've done it. That's hiding our light. When somebody says something that is patently against God and inaccurately represents who God is or who His people are, and we quietly put our head down and keep our mouths shut, that's hiding the light under a basket. Now, I fully recognize how difficult it is to take a stand for God and to speak His truth in the midst of a group of people who are not ready to receive what it has to say. A couple of experiences in my life. Number one, when I went to college, I went to a secular university and I was in some Bible and religion classes which were neither biblical nor religious. And they were disparaging people who believe in God, calling them uneducated and foolish. It was hard for an 18-year-old kid in a class with 30 or 40 other people to shoot up the hand and say, wait a minute, and challenge the professor. And sometimes I would. And sometimes I was intimidated. But that's hiding the light. As the people of God, we are to be about the business of pointing people to God. And there will be resistance. There will be those who will look at us and reject us out of hand for bringing it up. But our job as the people of God is to point people to the light. That's what God calls us to do. That's who God calls us to be. The final part of this passage reminds us that we are to inspire others to glorify the Father in heaven. Look at verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others. That's our job description. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, let your light shine. Let the fullness of who God has made you to become be witnessed by the people around us. That's, that's the idea. Don't wimp out. Don't hide those differences. Now, I'm not saying be in their face and aggressive and fight fire with fire and be as hateful as those who are spewing hate. Because that's not the light. That's darkness. But what I am saying is have the courage to face persecution and rejection by speaking the truth in a spirit of love and in a spirit of gentleness and meekness. All of those attributes that we saw laid out for us as a peacemaker in those Beatitudes, live it out in a way that challenges people to think differently. The Word of God calls us in this 16th verse to let our light shine before men. In other words, let people see who we are and what we're doing as far as being a follower of Christ. But here's something we need to recognize. There are some people who 
are really out there, and they're really showing themselves to be different, but they're not doing it with the right motivation. See, a little bit later in the sixth chapter, what we're going to see is that we aren't to share our differences for the sake of sharing our differences. We share our differences to point people to God, not to our church, our denomination, or myself as an individual. Jesus warns about this in the sixth chapter when he says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Now, it almost sounds contradictory. Wait a minute, I'm to let my light shine, but then he says, don't do it to be seen by other people. What's the difference? Here's the difference, motivation. When we look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, it goes on to say, let your light shine before others, and here's the outcome so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What is my goal in letting my light shine so that people are pointed to God? Listen, if my motivation is I'm doing something so people will look and say, wow, Rob is really awesome, then guess what? I'm a Matthew 6 kind of a guy. I'm doing it for people to see it, to draw attention to me. My Behavior isn't about God, it's about me. That's out of place. If I am pointing people to God by the things that I do, by the things that I say, by the way that I conduct myself, then what's going to happen? Others will see your good works and what? Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's what we want. It's not about us. It's not so people will look at us and say how great we are. It's so that people will look at God and say, how great is God? I give glory to Him. I'm not talking about feigned humility where we come in and say humble things so that people will brag on us even more. Oh, I'm not really that special. <laughs> come on, come on. You know, that's, that's not the idea. The idea is we come and we give glory to God because He's the one who made us who we are. He's the one who works through us. He is the one that we as the light are to direct people toward. And a great barometer of whether or not we're doing our job in this area is this. Do people talk more about me or more about God? And our goal brothers and sisters, is to have them talk about God. Less me, more God. That's the idea. That's how God wants us to live. This morning we have seen that we're to be salt and light in a dark world that desperately needs to hear the light of God's truth. The way we conduct ourselves will definitely determine whether or not we're fulfilling these roles in being salt and light. So what we challenge ourselves with as we look at this text, and I'm including myself in that challenge as well, is this, am I salty salt? Am I a bright light? Am I pointing people in a direction to where they'll glorify 
my God who is in heaven. And I don't do it by freelancing. I do it by putting into practice the attributes described for us in the Beatitudes. That's what directs people to God and his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text. And God, may we be salt that has great taste. May we be light that draws people and illuminates the word, your truth, to those around us. May we not lose our saltiness or hide our light, but may we fulfill the role that you called us to as followers of Jesus Christ. And I pray this in his name. Amen.